This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat, everybody. Good morning. Man, it's so good to be with you today. If you're new with us today and we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to guide us for the next 35 minutes or so as we continue to connect with God. I just want to share a few things. There's so much that I'm excited about right now. I thought I could really spend a whole day just just telling you all the great stuff God's doing in our church, but I just want to share a few things that God is doing because I wish you could be a mouse in my pocket some days and just hear the stories that I hear about lives being changed. But did you know that just like in this past couple of days, we had our junior and senior high students go on a retreat and God just really met them in powerful ways. That was awesome this weekend. Did you? Yeah, you can. Yeah. I love it. They spent the night here last night, by the way. They slept on the floor, which meant I got to play games with our junior and senior hires this morning before church started, which was so fun. Um, let's see. We've got uh, life group sign up starting today, and I love life groups. They are some of my favorite ways uh, for us. For us to engage with community, to actually get to know people. It's just a venue. It's a space for which we can form authentic relationships. And we believe that in the context of relationships, God transforms lives. So I'm excited about that. Our life group's pastor, Elise, is going to come up later. She's going to tell you more about that. Uh, A few other things. Coming up on May the 15th, we've got our global outreach uh, evening. And this is going to be so good. We're going to be talking with our various national and global ministry partners. We actually have the leaders from the India of mission, from our India mission coming over here. They're going to be here sharing with us all the way from India. You do not want to miss that. It's May 15th. We'll give you more information, but mark that on your calendar. It's going to be such a good night. We're going we're gonna to hear from and pray for our Mexico team that's leaving in a few months to go to Mexico to do some house building. It's going to be so good. Um, ooh, here's something fun. Our pastor, our worship pastor, Justin, who was just up on stage singing, uh, he writes songs. A number of our, our creative teams write songs. He writes songs. He entered four of those songs in a songwriting contest, thinking maybe one of them could progress on to the top 25. Out of 25 songs that made it to the top 25, four of them, all four of Justin's got in the top 25, which is pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Which, by the way, now it's up to us to help him move on. So if you go to New Life's Facebook page later on this afternoon, you can vote for his songs and help them get even further in this contest. But I just love the way that God works through our creative teams and uses their minds and their talents. It's so fun. And then we've got over 20 people heading to intro uh, in our second service, which is very, very fun. That's kind of the heartbeat of our church, why we do what we do, what we believe about God and why that matters. And so that's just like a few things that are going on right now that I'm so excited about. And I just want you to know so you can celebrate what God's doing in our church church. Hey, when you walked in, you should have received a program, and this is key for getting us all on the same page. Whether you're here for the first time or you've been here a hundred times, we believe that we're all starting on a journey together when we walk into this place, and there's no us and them, no inside and outside. It's us connecting with God because we believe there is a God. He's not some distant deity out there. He's, He's a personal, loving, engaged Heavenly Father who wants to meet with you right now. And inside this program, the reason we give it to you is there are tools to help you connect with God. So why don't you go ahead and grab one, this Start Here card. If you want to sign up for a life group later, this is going to be your ticket. This is your golden ticket, and everybody's got a golden ticket. So go ahead and get that filled out so you can use it later. The other thing you want are our teaching notes because they have the Bible verses we're looking at today, some fill-in-the-blanks, and some things to be thinking about throughout this week. While you're getting that ready, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, I love adventure. Anybody else love adventure? You can raise your hand, fist pump, whatever you got to do. 
I love adventure. And if I'm going to instill some qualities in my kids, one of the qualities I want to instill in them is a desire for adventure. And so uh, my wife was out of town this weekend. Always a great way to start a story. My wife was out of town this weekend. And uh, I bought this four-foot rubber dinghy, like raft thing. You know with the oars that you have to screw together? Uh, it, was, it came in a box about this big. And we went to Doran Beach, and, uh, and I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow this bad boy up for like a half hour uh, and um, take them out in the water. And so I texted Maria, who was not there, and said, hey, I'm taking the kids out. I took a picture. Taking the kids out in this dinghy. She said, I hope you have a life vest, and this is what you get if you're married to me. I wrote back and said, I don't need a life vest. Jesus is my life preserver. Uh, that's what I— so funny. I was laughing on the beach because that was so funny. And then I, I, I hashtagged oversaved. That's what I wrote back to her <laughs> next because I don't know about you. I crack me up. I think that was so funny. So, um, so I blow it up and I get the picture and I, I get him into the water. And if you've been to Dorn, the waves are like this high for like three feet, right? So I get him into the boat and I jump in, but I'm like two and a half feet out instead of three feet out. So I get in and this wave comes crashing into the side of our boat, right? And everyone's wet. I jump out, I get out and I'm bailing water with my hand. We finally get back in the boat and I'm, I'm rowing through and the kids are loving it. And I'm singing to them my own version of the Gilligan's Island theme song that I made up <laughs> like top of my lungs, just singing that the beach can hear us. And we're out there, and if you've been to Doran, there's that jetty, and people fish off the jetty, and there were some sea lions over there. So I thought to myself, yes, yes, we are going over to the sea lions. That is a good choice. So I, I'm rowing over to the sea lions, and we get close to the, like 15 feet away, a safe distance from the sea lions, and they see our boat, and they think we've got fish, like we're fisher people. Uh, and, and I, just, I just watched Ron Howard's remake of Moby Dick the night before. Did I mention that? So, so I just watched Moby Dick. The sea lions are, and they see us, and they start coming towards us, like whoo, coming towards And I'm thinking, what's going to happen? Because I know that their little backsides are only like digging in a little bit into the rubber boat. My backside is digging deep. So I'm thinking if someone's going to get hit, it's going to be me, right? And they come up, and I'm not joking, the sea lion, comes up like four feet away from us, and he's just staring at us. And you don't know how big a sea lion is until you're like, you know, a foot off the water looking at it in the eye. And I'm thinking we're going to get flipped, but the kids, you know, Jesus is my life preserver. The kids are fine. They think it's great. Lane is dingling his fingers, and I said, son, not a good choice. Right? They think we have fish. Sea lions are our friends, but, you know— Woo! So he pulls it back in, and the sea lion comes right, and it just swims right under us. And it went on, and it was the coolest thing ever, right? I got back in, and I was just loving it. And then my, my uh, Coast Guard friend sent me a post that said, hey, just so you know, if you don't have life vests, even if he is your life preserver, if you don't have life vests and the Coast Guard comes in, they'll give you a ticket. So at that point, <laughs> Jesus was still my life preserver, uh, but I deflated the boat, and we will get life vests for next time, for next time when we go out. But I love adventure. I love it. And that's why I love the series we're in right now. Because the series that we're in right now is all about an adventure with God. The series is called The Good Life, and it comes from Jesus' most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, where he goes up on this hill and he's teaching a wide variety of people, some non-religious, some people who were paid religious people. And he gets up on this mountain and he says, I want to teach you about something called the kingdom of heaven. 
And he says that you and I are dual citizens. We live in the kingdom of this world. We are U.S. citizens, many of us. But we also are citizens of this thing called the kingdom of heaven. And two characteristics of this kingdom are one, that in the kingdom of heaven, if you're a Jesus follower, if you're a Christian, you are God's child. And that's something that cannot be robbed from you or taken from you. When you become God's child, you get adopted into his family. That's one distinctive. And the second distinctive of this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is that the kingdom can never be shaken. That ultimately God will put all things right, whether in this world or in eternity. And so Jesus said it this way, the, the rain can come down, the floods can come up, the winds can blow, but your house does not have to be knocked over because ultimately this kingdom that you live in can never be shaken because God will either make it right here or make it right in eternity. And he says, based on that, I want to take you on a little adventure. And the adventure that Jesus takes us on in this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon, and the longest sermon he, that we have recorded of him preaching, he says, I want to take you on an adventure of understanding what it looks like to live in this new kingdom as citizens of this new world. And I want to, I'm not going to give you a list of things to do, because we all know that doing things won't actually change what's going on internally. It might shape our actions for a few weeks or months, but it won't ultimately transform us. So Jesus says, I'm not going to start with what to do. That's like the top level. He said, I want to rewrite some of your narratives about how life works down here. Because if you and I understand how life works down here, it will affect what we do up here. And he says, transformation, real freedom in life experiencing the good life, the ability to be authentically you. And by the way, the world needs you to be you because there is no other you in the world. But he says, I want to give you the freedom to be you, like the full, the full you, the authentic you, the you that experiences life that you were created to experience. And that happens when we start rewriting some of these stories about how life works. And so it's really an adventure. No shame, no guilt, no condemnation. Jesus would say it this way. You're just entering into this new culture. It's time to start learning some new stories. Don't worry about the stories you knew because that's when you lived in this other culture, the United States, as a citizen here. But now you're dual citizens living in the kingdom of heaven. So you don't have to be ashamed of what happened there. You don't have to be embarrassed about what happened there. You don't have to feel guilty about what happened there because now you're living here and it's all brand new. And so he starts telling us these stories about the way the life works. And today he says this, I want to tell you, a new way to view each other, to view other people, a way that takes them, um, puts them in a position where, where the other person, the person sitting next to you, the person sitting across from you, the person who's in front of you, meets their deepest needs as a person. This way of viewing each other helps someone meet their deepest needs. And this way of viewing each other that Jesus talks about it actually allows us to experience freedom at some of the deepest levels. Freedom from guilt and shame that happens when we don't view people as people, but when we view them as objects. And the enemy of God wants to use that objectification of people to, to make us feel ashamed or embarrassed or isolated or alone. And he says, no more isolation, no more shame. You're, you're new, and this new way of viewing people will change everything. But whenever Jesus preaches, he's not preaching on a standalone. He's actually preaching on the things that God has revealed already. And so when you have your Bible, you, it's kind of split into two pieces. The Old Testament, which is uh, the story of God's people, the Jewish nation throughout history. 
and God weaves them together from one family to a whole nation of people. It's this unique story of them. And then you've got the New Testament, which starts with the life of Jesus and then goes on into the church. And so when Jesus is talking, he's going all the way back oftentimes to the Old Testament of the Bible and saying, let me fulfill what was actually going on here. So when Jesus starts talking about people, he takes us all the way back to the beginning to help us understand what God says about people. And here's how God starts the world, basically. He starts the first chapter of the Bible in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. This is what God says about people. And notice it. It's up on the screens. It's in your notes. If you've got a Bible, flip open to Genesis chapter 1. God said, let us make mankind in our image. And let's just pause here because that word us can be confusing for a lot of us. Because you said, well, it's God, and God's talking about God's self plurally. The Bible tells us about God in three distinct kind of persons or characters. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, who's Jesus, who we talk about a lot here at New Life. And then there's the Holy Spirit, who God promises to, to live inside of us when we're followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is God's Spirit that gives us the ability to know what's right and then to actually do it, to be our comforter when we're struggling and to care for us and to draw us into community. That's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, uh, or the Trinity, is, is kind of what Christian people have called it, has been around from the beginning. That's why God says, let us make man in our image. So that's what he says. God's talking to himself. He says, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creations that move along the grounds. Verse 27 says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, God created them. Now there are some foundational truths about people in this passage that we have to understand. The first is this. Every single person was intentionally made by God. God decided. He said, let us make man in our image. You weren't an accident. You weren't a mistake. You weren't forgotten about. Some of us need to hear that today. Because we were told we were a mistake, a whoops, an accident. Some of us felt unwanted and unloved. But did you know that even if your earthly parents didn't expect you or treated you as if they did not want you, did you know that your heavenly father, he intentionally made you? You weren't an accident. You weren't a mistake. God made you, and God doesn't make any junk. And so the first thing we have to understand is that even though you might not have been planned by your, by your earthly parents, you were planned by your heavenly father. You're here on purpose, and you're here for a purpose. And here at New Life, we talk about what that purpose looks like to love God, to love people, to experience freedom in life. And the second truth we have to understand is this. Every person is made in the image of God. Let us make man in our image. That's what God said. And in the image of God, he created them, male and female. So he's not talking gender. He's talking about something else, the thumbprint of God. Now, I want you to think about the place where you feel most connected to God. For some of us, it is, it's the beach. I, I love the beach. The sunburn on my nose will tell you I love the beach. I feel very connected to God at the beach. Sunset, oh my gosh, I love it. For some of us, it's, it's uh, a cathedral. You know, maybe if you've ever visited Rome and seen some of these ancient old cathedrals and you feel like, boy, that is like a holy place. And you think about for thousands of years, people have come there to engage with God. 
for a lot of people, especially Jewish people, and then a lot of Christian people, Jerusalem is a very holy place. That's where Jesus would go, and, and the temple was there. That's where he would go and worship. And actually, you can go to Jerusalem, and you can see the last wall that's kind of still standing up where the temple used to be. And for many people, that is the most holy place in the world. But catch this, because this is huge. You could be at the most holy place in the world, and the person sitting right next to you right now is more holy than that place. It doesn't matter where you are. The person, just look around for a second. The person sitting next to you, this is why community is so important. Because the person sitting next to you is more holy than the holiest site you have ever visited. Why? Because none of those places was made in the image of God. Only people were made in God's image. Every single person in this room Every single person in our community, everyone at your school, at work, has the thumbprint of God put on them. Now, for some of us, that thumbprint has been smudged by a life that's been lived apart from God that has been difficult. For some of us, that thumbprint seems very light right now. But I'm telling you, every single person, your spouse, your kids, your, when your kids are just, ah, most, they're the most holy sight even more holy than church. Can you believe that? Why? Because they're made in the image of God. So I started writing recently. I I usually write my sermons here at the church, but I started writing at this really cool, like, hipster coffee shop downtown. And I'm not going to tell you which one. (laughs) Because then you'll start coming to it. And while you're holy, I just need this space to be mine, okay? I'm just kidding. Some of you saw me there, so you can start telling them. Petaluma coffee and tea. So I started writing some sermons there. And I did that intentionally because I realized that writing in my office with the door shut and the walls around me, I miss out on, on people. And I need to see people. I need to be around people. So I put my headphones in and I just started writing. And it was so fun. I was there writing this message. And this dude's sitting over in the corner and he's like this conspiracy theorist guy. It's awesome. He's telling everybody how Einstein was a fraud and this and that, like going up. And he's got all this evidence. He's like, you can see it on the web. And I'm thinking to myself, well, sure, of course. Then it must be true because, you know, uh, he's just on and on. I love it, right? But he is convicted. And then there's these business women talking and they're talking about their meetings coming up that day. And then I saw a retired friend of mine who comes to New Life and he's sitting there and and, uh, and so we exchanged, you know, glances. I said hi. He's telling me about life. And, and I realized, boy, sitting in that coffee shop, I'm in the midst of God's most sacred treasure. People. People. Isn't that incredible? And that's why, that's why, when Jesus starts writing about people, He has a lot to say because people were made intentionally by God and are image bearers of God. So in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus starts talking about people in the Sermon on the Mount, he's going back to Genesis and saying, remember, people are holy. And this is how people need to be treated in light of that holiness. And here's what he says in Matthew 5, 27. You've heard that it was said, that goes back to the Old Testament, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Now, back in Jesus' day, adultery was when two people had sex, and one of them, at least one of them, was married to someone else. So not all that uncommon from our definition. 
But in practice, it really only affected women. Women could be, uh, would be oftentimes killed for it. Now, men would oftentimes get away with it. They, they could sleep with prostitutes. They could sleep with slaves and get away with it. But women, it was, it was this really, um, really scary thing. And Jesus says, remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Sex isn't about sex. Sex is about relationship and engagement. But here's what he's saying. At first glance, it looks like he's saying, if you just look at somebody and think they're attractive, you've had an affair. That's not what Jesus is saying. Thank goodness. Some of us are like, huh. <laughs> now, Jesus is getting to the heart of the issue. And he uses this really interesting Greek word. It's the word that gets translated lust in, in the English language. And it's this word epithumia. And epithumia is this. It's the intentional cultivation of sexual desire for the sake of the feeling itself. What it does to me, it's... it's it's different than attraction because attraction notices beauty. We can see beauty in people. Um, lust takes the, the mental binoculars and zooms in, right? Does that make sense? And it's different than love because, because love looks in the eyes. Lust looks eight inches below, if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, it's, it's different. Love sees a person. Lust sees characteristics attributes, body parts. I, I remember discipling a few guys when I was in college, and we were reading this book, and we started talking about this idea, this topic, and this one dude says to me, because we're saying, yeah, yeah, you know, college guys, they're like, yeah, I kind of, that's, uh, that's something that comes up from time to time, and, uh, and this one guy says, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Yeah, I check out women, but I, like, when I look at a woman, I look at her hips, because I want to see if she's got good birthing hips. That's what he says to me, straight-faced. <laughs> and I just, I just sat there, and I just, I, I tried to hold it in, right? Like, I tried, but I just had to say, you are so full of it. Are you kidding me? You're 19. You're not looking at her birthing hips. You're looking at something else. Let's just call it what it is. He's like, I would never do that. I said, you are such a liar. That is hilarious. No, no, no. He got up and stormed out, you know? He was all mad at me. I'm like, come on. Yeah, birthing hips. <laughs> Never forget that. So funny. But lust zooms in on body parts. And then it just keeps coming back. Love values people. That's what love does. Lust degrades people, objectifies them. That's what epithumia is. That's what Jesus is talking about. And it could be that we're, we're mentally fixating on characteristics, physical body parts, that kind of thing. But also, lust can actually, it can zoom in on a certain persona. Like if you've ever read a book where the main character is Dirk or Brock, um, (laughs) you're walking the line. You're walking the line. If you've ever watched a movie with Prince Charming and you thought to yourself, I want my husband to be like Prince Charming, you're setting yourself up for epithumia. And here's why. No one is like Prince Charming. Prince Charming is a 2D character. Your husband is a 3D man, for better or worse. And lust turns people into images. Love looks at people as 3D persons made in the image of God. Do you see the difference that he's talking about here? And Jesus says that part of learning how to live in this kingdom is understanding 
that people are sacred and valuing the sacred nature of the other person. Because one of our deepest needs as people is to be known and to be loved for all of who we are, right? Not just part of who we are, not just our excellent looking feet. That is not what we... All of us wants to be accepted. We, we all have these questions and they go something like this and they're usually under the surface. It's like, do you really know me? Do you really see me? Like, do you see me? Do you believe in me? Do you really love me? And lust discounts those questions because we don't really see or know or believe. We personify and make pictures that are flat and static. But love says, let me answer that question for you. I see you. I know you. I actually believe in you, and I love you. The danger around lust is that it, it eliminates the sacredness of another person. Jesus isn't talking about actions. He's, he's talking about the heart. He's talking about the fact that humans are sacred beings because we are the only ones made in the image of God. Lust turns us into consumers of bite-sized pieces of the other person. Lust turns 3D people with the thumbprint of God into 2D images or 2D personalities. And it traps them, and it traps us. Some of the worst, most, most horrible, gut-wrenching things in the world come from this misunderstanding of people. When you think about it, sex slavery, prostitution, these come from an outpouring of losing the sacredness of the other person. And it traps women and children into becoming objects and it takes away the sacred. The porn industry comes from this misunderstanding of people. Time Magazine just put out an, uh, their cover story, actually, for April 11th, was about the porn industry. And now they're saying, you know, secular, the secular world is saying, you know what? Pornography, lust, these types of images, it's not a victimless crime anymore. They're saying it actually, in our brains, it alters the way that we view ourselves and view other people. And I am so glad they're catching up because Jesus has said this for 2,000 years. He says, I'm not saying this because I want to take from you. I'm saying it because I want to give to you freedom to fully love someone else. Now, none of us would say sitting here, based on that description, boy, I really want to epithumia, right? I, I love it. I love what it does to people. I love what it does in my own heart. None of us would say that. But the question becomes, how do we change that? Not with our actions, because most of us, if you were raised in a church, and when it came to this topic, here was the action point. Stop it. Okay? That's disgusting. You are dirty. Don't do that. 
Jesus actually says something that debunks the stop it theory that some of us had in church. And he, he says it by going to the extreme, by using a literary tool called abductio de absurdum, which means to take something to the absurd. And here's what he says. If your right eye causes you to stumble, go ahead and just gouge it out. Gouge it out. Better, better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, go ahead and just whack it off. Just cut, just cut it off. It's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, a lot of us were taught that he was being serious, and yet I don't think we actually believed it because there's a lot of two-eyed people in this room. And I shook a lot of hands walking in. Hey. So what's Jesus doing here? He's debunking the theory that we can stop it by just stopping it. He says that's as absurd as saying you want someone to, to have a desire to stop stealing, cut off their hands, and they won't want to steal anymore. That doesn't work. You might stop the actions for a certain amount of time, but it won't change what's going on in here. The only way to change what's going on in here is to understand where we live. We live in the kingdom of heaven. Understand who we are, that we're children of God. But first we have to talk about the, the roots. What causes us to feel this way? And the first is this. We don't understand the sacredness of the other. We lose sight of it sometimes. We get busy, life gets going, and we just lose sight of the sacred nature of people. People become obstacles in our way to getting things done. It was Thursday afternoon, five minutes before I was supposed to leave. Now, you have to understand, Thursday is my Friday. Uh, and remember I said last week, remember on your Friday, 10 minutes before you have to leave, someone comes in with a problem that you have to fix, and missed expectations and fear rise up and anger comes out. We talked about this last week. So it's Thursday afternoon, five minutes before I have to leave. I've got a chiropractor's appointment and 15 minutes across town. And wouldn't you know, something came up. Someone needed my attention. And immediately anger just rises up within me. Why? Missed expectations, a little bit of fear. So I started digging into it, and I realized, hold on, Kevin, this person— it wasn't any of you, by the way. Just so you know, it wasn't actually even someone uh, that, that is, is coming to our church regularly. But this person um, is a person. Not an interruption on your way to something else. They're a person. And we all lose that from time to time. So Jesus isn't condemning us for it. He's just saying, you've got to remember the sacredness of the other person. When we lose that, people become 2D characteristics, like cardboard cutouts, and not actually whole people. But the second thing that causes us to lust, to view people as objects and bite-sized pieces that we can consume is, is underneath a lot of us, there are feelings of aloneness and not enoughness. Humans need to feel like we're enough. We need to feel like we're not alone. And oftentimes when we engage in epithumia, in lust, in cultivating, grabbing something for our own sake, it's because we're not feeling like enough in that moment. We feel alone in that moment, and we try to feel better about ourselves. And here's the trick of lust. This is why Jesus says it's so dangerous. It will make us feel better for a little while. You will feel whole. You will feel like you're in control. You will feel good about yourself. But it's like a bucket with a hole in the bottom, and the water, you pour it in, and the water just drips out. And before too long, it's gone. It's empty. We need to lust again to fill it back up because we start feeling alone again and not good enough again and not worth enough again. And the problem is the more we do it, the bigger the hole gets until all of a sudden we're just constantly dumping and we're trapped. We're trapped. And Jesus wants us to be free. 
But understanding our place in the kingdom of God changes all of that. Here's what Jesus says about you if you live in the kingdom. And this is the, this is the underlying theory or theme for the, entire, for the entire Sermon on the Mount. In the kingdom, you're not alone, ever, ever. God is literally with you all the time. We've said that the kingdom of heaven is any place where God's presence and power is, is, is available to us. And as Jesus' followers, God's presence and power is always available to us. We are never alone. And the second one is this. We are enough. You're God's daughter. You're God's son. God is the king in the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what that makes you by default? It makes you royalty. Now think about that. If God's the king and you're God's daughter and you're God's son, then in the kingdom of heaven, you are royalty. And that seems weird, doesn't it? It seems a bit absurd, but it's true. It's true. And you are enough. That means that you can, you can wake up every morning starting your day from the standpoint of, hey, I'm enough. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. I'm attractive enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. (laughs) Because if God says I'm enough, then all these lesser things fill in in reality of that. And that foundation will begin to shape our perspective of people. Because when we're enough, and when we're not in danger, when we're not alone, that we don't have to turn people into objects to make us feel better about ourselves. We can actually view them for the sacred creatures that they are. And it will change and shape, it'll shape our understanding of them, which will then change our understanding of us, which will then start to alleviate the need to turn them into objects to be consumed because now they're people to be embraced, enjoyed, loved, respected, valued. There's sacredness in the other. They're image bearers. For a lot of us, that'll go a long way to bring freedom, but there's a, a group of us in here that while we understand that paradigm, and that paradigm will go a long way in helping us, that we have actually found ourselves trapped in lust, in the outpouring, the action, that bucket, that hole's gotten so big that we're constantly pouring it in. And lust, whether it's through pornography, um, through, through Dirk and Brock, um, or through mental images, when that addiction takes hold, it is strong. And I'll tell you this, and, and to be honest with you, this is the one time someone's left the church because they said a pastor should never talk about this. When I was in my late teens into my early 20s, I was addicted to pornography. Addicted. Multiple hours a day. Because of, I didn't ever feel like enough. And that's the only way I could gain control. And I can tell you from experience, breaking free from that addiction was difficult. Difficult. They say that it's, it's as difficult as breaking free from alcohol and drugs when you're addicted to that. But the church doesn't talk about it because we get embarrassed. But I can tell you, on the other side of that shame, of that guilt, of that addiction, is freedom. And so I wanted to lay out this, this underlying narrative, but for some of us who feel trapped right now, I want to give you some practical ways to break free from that addiction. And I'm not going to say it right now in front of everybody, but if you, uh, on your Start Here card, there's a little spot where it just says, um, I'd like some information. If you mark that down, I will give you some information that I use to practically break free from an addiction to pornography, an addiction to lust. 
Now, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, which I totally get because you're sitting in a room with like 300 people, just email me. Go to the website. My email's on there. It's kevin at newlifepetaluma.org. Email me directly. I will, I will email you out some steps to help you because I don't want you to feel ashamed or embarrassed because you don't need to. You don't need to. But I'm telling you, on the other side of that, addiction is freedom, and I want freedom for you, males and females. By the way, the, the male rate of men who are addicted to pornography is right around, I think, like 50%, but for females, it's like 22%. It was the last study I saw. So what's affecting us across the board? And what I want for you is what God wants for you, which is freedom, just freedom, to be free to love and embrace someone for who they are. It will, it will change everything. It really will for many of us. And I've been praying for freedom for us today. As we wrap up our time together, um, I just want you to know one thing. All the stuff we talk about each week comes in the context of living in the kingdom. And the kingdom happens when we understand who we are and where we live. You are God's child. You were made in God's image. Whether you're a Christian or not, you were made in God's image. He made you. He knows you. He loves you. He's seen where you've been. He knows what you're thinking right now. He loves you so much that he gave his life, that Jesus came to earth, gave his life on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin that had separated you and I from God. And then he rose from the dead, breaking the power of sin so you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore, whether it's epithumia or something else. He wants freedom for you. And the way to find that freedom is to, one, enter into that relationship with him, to experience his forgiveness, his grace, his love. And then two, to invest, plug into a community where you can actually be your authentic self and allow people to love you for the gift that you are. And Elise is going to come out in a second and give you a chance to do that second part, to plug into a community, to try to find, again, it might not be, this first life group you joined might not be your end-all, be-all group, but it's a good starting place to try to find some relationships. But I want to give you a chance to enter into the kingdom of heaven, to become a Christ follower right now. So would you join me as we pray? And if you make this decision to become a follower of Christ, would you mark it on your card? Elise is going to walk us through this later. Mark it on your card so we can pray for you. Then out in the lab lobby, grab one of our uh, New Believers Quick Start Guides. That's for you to take a next step. And if you're ready to enter into a relationship with him, you can join me. Let's close our eyes and pray together. I want to give you a chance to say yes to God. And here's how you would do it. Just repeat this prayer after me. Actually, first I want to pray for everybody. And then I'll pray with you if you're ready to make a decision to commit your life to God. Jesus, thank you that you invite us into these conversations in the lens of freedom and hope and beauty and love because you love us and you want freedom for us. If I have friends in this room today who, um, who this is, is bringing up both hope but also a mixture of hope and embarrassment, Conviction mixed with a little bit of shame, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would clear out the shame, that you would clear out the embarrassment, and that you would bring only hope and conviction that would cause my friends to take their next step towards freedom with you. Jesus, would you do that? Would we be a community that is free to love each other and see your thumbprint on every person that we interact with? And now if you're ready to make a decision to give your life to Jesus, you can repeat these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me, that you gave your life for me, and I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your spirit? 
And would you show me how to walk in this kingdom? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.